When I'm dealing with the candidate, I'll, I'll tell them to ask themselves, right? Ask yourself this question. If I get this job, will I be better off three to five years from now than if I stay where I am? Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I am your host, Mark Whitby, and I am extremely happy to be joined today by Nick Cabral. Nick is the principal of Boston Investment Staffing Group, a firm he founded in 2009. He specializes in permanent and contract placements within the investment and financial services industry. They focus on working with boutique investment managers and becoming an integral partner for their hiring process. Overall, Nick has 20 years of experience in recruitment and graduated from Bentley University with a degree in finance and philosophy. Nick, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Mark. Awesome. So you were recommended by our mutual friend, Annie Colabella. How do you know Annie? Uh, So Annie and I worked together at Boston Networking Group way back when we were beginning our career in recruiting and uh, have stayed in touch over the years. She's phenomenal. And um, I always, uh, always appreciate catching up with her. Um, She's, uh, she's a very good recruiter. Absolutely. And uh, Annie is phenomenal. That's a great description. Uh, So she, as you probably know, she's been on the podcast before. So I, I would encourage our listeners to look out for that episode as well. If you enjoy my conversation with Nick, then you'll probably also enjoy the conversation with Annie. That was called Three Simple Steps to Increase Your Billings from Six to Seven Figures. And uh, Nick, actually, I've invited Annie to be a guest speaker at a, a conference that we're hosting for our clients in Florida. Um, so I'm excited to uh, to hear what she has to say, but um, I'm really glad that she introduced us. So... Nick, I, I always am curious to learn, how did you get into this crazy business? Ha. Uh, well, I think like a lot of people, I didn't um, graduate from college thinking I was going to be a recruiter. Um, kind of happened upon it and it uh, it's worked out. Um, so when I graduated, I studied finance at Bentley and thought that I was going to go work at State Street Corporation and make a ton of money and retire and things are going to be great. And what I realized after a couple internships is that um, finance and Excel spreadsheets weren't necessarily the things I enjoyed the most in uh, my academics. Um, and so when I got out, I, I ended up getting a sales job for a deco, uh, which is a temp agency uh, based in the States. And I was uh, an account rep for them. And uh, I was outside kind of going out to businesses, trying to bring in new business. Um, I, I would bring in the roles and then there was a staffing coordinator who would be the one to fill all the positions, right? So temporary employees, think um, warehouse staff, office staff, whatever it may be. Um, I was there for a couple months and the staffing coordinator that I worked with, a, a woman named Kate Chenard, left and joined a, a firm called Boston Networking Group. Um, she was there again for a couple months and they asked her if she knew anyone that would be a good recruiter. And she brought me over to Boston Networking Group. Um, and so I was able to start there as a kind of a, a full full desk recruiter uh, back in the, gosh, fall of 2003. So uh, 20 plus years ago. Um, and so thank you to Kate for uh, for getting me into this business. It was, uh, it was quite an adventure. All right. Thanks to Kate. It's so interesting. Actually, I just want to press pause there, Nick, for uh, our listeners to take in a couple, like, I hope that when people are listening, they're not just, you know, listening at the surface level, but they're actually thinking, how can I use that? What can I learn from that? Uh, How does this apply to me? And so two things you said there. One is that you were recruited from a deco and we tell our clients that if you're scaling, then recruiting recruiters who maybe have a year to two years experience working at, you know, those big staffing agencies is that's a great uh, recruiting, you know, uh, talent pool to recruit from, right? They don't necessarily need experience in your specific market that you recruit in, but they'll have had a really just a good, a really good foundation, really good training, you know, with these big global firms, often they have pretty, um, comprehensive training programs. And also they'll have established that they do like recruiting, right? They, this is an industry they want to, you know, they want to develop in, but they may have also reached a a stage where they get frustrated working for a massive corporation and they might prefer working for a smaller boutique. And so, you know, that can be a great talent pool to tap into. The second thing is, uh, 
the firm that you worked for before tapped into their own employees for referrals for internal employees. And again, it's so obvious, right? But it's an overlooked method if you are scaling, you know, instead of hiring someone who we don't know at all, which is a bigger risk, why don't we hire someone that has worked with one of our existing team members and so obvious and yet overlooked. So uh, two lessons already from uh, from Nick's story. So you got started in um, in financial services, which I guess makes sense given your what your degree was in that. So you already understood it. And uh, but then fast forward a few years, you launched your own firm, which I guess was in 2009. So how long were you at the the previous company, Nick? Yeah, sure. So I worked at Boston Networking Group for about five and a half years. Okay. Um, And when I originally started, I was doing administrative sales and marketing search for them, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, I worked for a woman named Jennifer Keene, who was wonderful and, and really showed me the ropes of of recruiting, right? Um, you know, being relentless, not, um, you know, not taking uh, no for an answer, right? Making sure that you uh, were persistent, but not annoying, if you will. Um, and so after about a year and a half, um, I, speaking to what you had mentioned, I really wanted to apply my degree and work with career-minded professionals. And so I had an opportunity to move into the investment and financial services department over at Boston Networking Group. And uh, I did that for uh, gosh, I think another four years. And mm-hmm. um, that was an excellent experience. I got to really learn a lot more about investments, financial services. It's funny, I tell people that I, I feel like I learned more about that in recruiting than I did in undergrad, just because it was <laughs> so hands-on and you kind of learn about all the the different kind of nuances within the industry. Yeah, that's one thing I love about this business is that if you're a curious person and you love learning, then it's fascinating. Like you learn so much about the industry that you serve as well as the different jobs that people do within that industry. So, um, so awesome. And then what was the most significant experience and or uh, learning that you had during the five years that you were with, um, with the, your previous company? I think what I learned, so I was, I want to say I was employee 12 or 13 at Boston Networking Group, and they ended up growing to about 30 recruiters. So say 25 in Boston, maybe another five down in New York mm-hmm. at their peak. And when I first got there, I think what I really learned was kind of looking at all the successful recruiters within uh, that organization and what did they do, right? Like what were mm-hmm. the things that they were doing that set them apart from their peers, um, you know, some of them were super outgoing and always meeting with people. Some of them were volume folks where they would just call and just, you know, make sure that they reached out to countless people in order to find what it was they were looking for. And so I kind of pulled a little bit from each one of those different really successful recruiters to kind of create what was my recruiter mm. um, and kind of who I was and the things that played to my strengths, which were, you know, I'm, I'm certainly comfortable with volume and making sure you get out there. I feel like that's important. But then also making sure to get out in front of people and meet with them in person and and have that personal approach. You know, how many times do you get referrals from, you know, uh, after work drinks with people when they've got you got someone a job and all their teammates are there saying, hey, congratulations. How did you land your new job? Oh, well, I'm Nick. Here's my business card. And this was when I was carrying a lot of business cards back in, say, 04, 05, 06 before um, people kind of didn't carry them as much, I guess. That's a great strategy. I love that. And um is that something you still do is like go out for a drink with place candidates and meet their colleagues or? Yeah, I don't do a ton with their colleagues as much. It used to be kind of pre-pandemic. Yeah. It was one of those things where it was like, hey, I'm going out with all of my coworkers after, you know, and I would go and join them. And it was a great opportunity for networking. Um, now it's more of a kind of a, a more individual thing. You know, sometimes if I get referred by someone, we'll do like a dinner with say the person that referred me as well as them. And and I think through conversation, you still get to the same ends, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of people, but it's not not the same kind of, hey, there's 25 people that are doing, say, fund accounting operations that might be looking for jobs, which was uh, was a really fruitful uh, kind of way to get uh, get new new candidates. Absolutely. So, yeah, I love that you, you're looking at who, and because I did the exact same thing when I was coming up in recruiting is learning from mentors within, you know, my environment that I was working in and thinking like learning things, different things from different people, right? So, what is that person really good at? So that person is excellent at 
you know, they always seem to negotiate the best possible fee. What is he doing differently to what I'm doing? And I would just ask for people's help. I'd say, hey, could I, could I buy you lunch and pick your brains? And they'd be like, yeah, sure, Mark. And then, you know, I'm asking them, so how come I'm getting 20% fees and you're getting 30% fees? What do you say to the client when you're taking the order that allows them to accept that fee structure? And then someone else who's good at winning retained business, I'm like, well, how the heck is he doing that? Because I am fed up working contingency. And so it's just picking up different things from different people. But then <clears throat> Annie told me, uh, am I right that you trained Annie when she first started in the business? Yeah. So I was one of the senior people on the the team when she joined. And so um, we did a lot of, as a small organization, we did a lot of hands-on trading. So a lot of shadowing and a lot of kind of walking through you know, hey, these are my methods. These are the things that I've done. So I'm sure that, you know, similar to what I did, you know, pull things from the people that you meet and that you see as having success and, and try to kind of make your your own recruiter. And Annie's gone on to to great success. So um, I'd like to take credit for training her, you know, 100%. But I, I feel like, you know, she probably did the same thing I did, pulled what she liked from our experiences working together and, and obviously created her own uh, recruiting monster. She absolutely phenomenal. So, well, I absolutely, if you had any part in her journey, then I would take, I would take that credit because, uh, yeah, she's, she's amazing. So then what prompted you to start up Boston Investment Staffing Group then in 2009, Nick? Sure. So, um, so sadly in the beginning of 2009, Boston Networking Group, uh, there were three partners they decided to close. Um, and they kept a, a few of us on kind of sort of as consultants to work with them, but it was shut down the office. Um, we're going to try to reevaluate. And, and coming out of that, each partner decided to start their own organization. And so myself and my business partner, Tony DeCito, started Boston Investment Staffing Group. He was my boss. I was the top biller. Made sense for us to get together and, and build. Um, and so we started in the summer of 2009. Um, which was a great, um, you know, I, I think it, it was the great recession, right? So, you know, if you're going to start, start when things are the worst and hopefully <laughs> they're going to get better. Um, right. Wow. That's, uh, well, I guess you kind of, it sounds like start a business out of necessity, um, but it's turned out great. What's that 14 years now that you've been, uh, and you're, you're still here and, and thriving. So that's phenomenal. Um, but what what was it like? Tell me about the that startup year when you're really grinding and things are really tough. Sure, sure. Um, so when we first started, um, we obviously kind of write the initial check to build your business, right? This is our kind of startup money. We're going to get this thing going. Um, and so the both of us did that. And uh, we started, as I mentioned, in the summer of 2009. And so in my head, I said, okay, well, I'll, we have some clients from Boston Networking Group, right? We mm -hmm. all kind of, we both pulled over our our kind of list of clients, candidates, et cetera. We had the whole database because the other organization closed. And so in my head, I I told myself I'd bill, I'd bring in some revenue, and this thing was going to get up and running, and it would be wonderful. Well, uh, lo and behold, about six months went by before I hit my first deal, um, which was absolutely terrifying. I had just gotten married. I had just bought a condo. Um, you know, funds were starting to run quite low. Um, and so in the beginning of 2010, I had to write another check, uh, kind of a reinvestment into the business, which was wow. pretty much the last of my money. Um, and so I had told my business partner at the time that if, you know, if this didn't work out, I'd have to go get a real job. Um, thankfully, 2010 got better. It, it certainly wasn't a banner year, but, but definitely better. Um, and so by, I think the end of 2011, 2012, we were hiring our first employee. So, um, it was a bit of a gut check because I thought I was good and I thought that I would, you know, obviously immediately start billing and, um, that's not what happened. And so it was nice to, to be able to kind of stay afloat for that difficult period. And then obviously, uh, reap the benefits of, of some really, uh, lucrative years, uh, later on. Absolutely. So you, what month was it in, in 2009? I want to say June, July. June, you started. Okay. Yeah. So in May, I was just looking at my notes here. In May 2008, so the, the recession started in 2008 and it was sort of like, but it was the longest, deepest recession like since the Great Depression, right? So uh, 2008, 
I lost 87% of my revenue in about a four-week period. Um, that was, and, and similar to yourself, I think we were probably at a similar stage of life. I had, I had two kids already. I had a third on the way. I had a mortgage. And I was freaking out because, you know, so basically that's what taught me not to have too much concentrate, like too much of your revenue concentrated in too few clients because I had kind of four main accounts that I was just getting a lot of repeat business from. And then three of them immediately cut everything. Uh, and I was thankfully left with one good solid client who I like was the life preserver that I clung onto for, for dear life. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was not fun. But fortunately in, I guess, 2010, things had returned back to pre- recession levels and uh, and then things started picking up from there. But psychologically and emotionally, Nick, what was going on for you during that period? Because you're like, what was going through your head? Like you're you're expecting it to be relatively easy given your track record, you're a you know, top biller, and then you go six months without a, a, a deal. Uh, that was hard. <laughs> That's for sure. I remember uh, going back to 2008, I had one of my best years and that was without billing really anything in the fourth quarter. So, you know, the first three quarters of the year, everything's humming along and we're yeah. having a great time. And um, and then all of a sudden it was crickets. And I, I remember starting 2009 um, and just the whole organization just not seeing a lot of activity whatsoever. Um, for me, I think what was hardest in starting it is, again, I felt as though it would pick up. And I think what I had to really remind myself was, was it wasn't my fault that we weren't billing at that time. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was just that, again, there was limited amounts of, of roles available. Um, companies just didn't really need to hire. There was a lot of kind of turmoil in the markets. And so um, it was hard to persevere, um, but I knew that it would get better, right? I mean, you, you <laughs> everything's cyclical, right? You know that yeah. eventually it's going to start to pick up again. And you know, so I think my mindset was keep doing the work, right? Keep making sure that you are, are contacting clients and candidates and staying on their radar. You're not going anywhere. This is what you're going to do. And I think because of that kind of like um, never quit mentality, it led to, all right, 2010 got better and then 11 was even better and then 12 was a banner year. And so um, it was uh, it was hard, but but manageable. I think you just got to kind of stay grounded in the fact that if you do the work, um, it will it will get where you want it to go. What you just said, Nick, is a awesome template for what some folks are going through right now. Nothing like 2008 recession, but I feel like 2023 has been sort of a weird year. And uh, for not everybody, but for some recruiters, depending on what market they're in, uh, particularly in tech, then it's, and especially by comparison to the, you know, record year that a lot of folks had in, you know, 2021, 2022, then, you know, people started to freak out a little bit with tech layoffs and, and, and whatnot. But the advice you just gave of the mindset and the approach that you used to just stay the course, keep doing the work, focus on what you can control, remember that this is cyclical, things will get better. That is the exact mindset and, and method that people need to approach things right now if they are experiencing a, a slowdown. So hopefully many listeners can, can take um, comfort and inspiration from, from your experience there, Nick. Um, so <clears throat> you've been doing this for 14 years. What, looking back over how far you've come, what do you feel most proud of that you've, you've achieved um, you know, since you've been running your own business, Boston Investment Staffing Group? Uh, you won 14 years in my mind is quite an achievement um, to be able to, um, you know, to be in this business uh, through, you know, multiple cycles, you know, having kind of seen the ups and downs of it, I think is um, something I'm very proud of. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of uh, having built longstanding relationships, both on uh, the candidate level and the client level. Um, and one of the things that I, I was thinking about that I, I think is important is I've always kind of fashioned myself a candidate-centric recruiter, right? So a candidate-first mm -hmm. recruiter, you know, with great client relationships, right? I've been in it for a long time. I have a lot of clients that I do a lot of work with, but I feel like I've always, as a running a small organization, I think um, a lot of folks kind of look at, you know, say the big billers have all the clients 
And again, when you think about a, a firm like mine, where it's myself and one other person, you can have all the clients in the world. If you're not filling the positions, you know, what good are you as a recruiter? And so I've always really leaned towards the candidate side, recognizing that, yes, you know, it's important to do business development, but it's got to be scalable. You got to do it in a way that you're, you're adding value to your, to your client searches. Um, and so I think that's something I'm proud of because I, I think a lot of recruiters kind of lean towards the side of, well, I have all the clients, you know, and so that's the most important thing. And yes, the clients pay your bills, but again, without the candidates, I do think it's, it's, um, you know, those bills aren't going to get paid. And so I think having built my career around that is something that I'm, I'm, I'm actually very proud of. Awesome. And I, I respect that. So like in terms of building those longstanding relationships, could you elaborate a little more in terms of like how specifically you approach that? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, the, the thing that I, I think that I do really well is, um, uh, you know, kind of operate with integrity, right? I have a lot of respect for every person I work with. And that could be someone that's an entry-level person just getting out of undergrad or a C-level executive. Mm. Um, every conversation that I have is important, right? And I, I find that I hear a lot of stories about recruiters who, you know, I'll talk with a candidate and they'll speak with a recruiter and then they'll never hear from them again. And, you know, they'll follow up multiple times and still nothing. And, and it frustrates me because I think it's really easy to at least get back to someone, right? And pay them the respect I think that they deserve as a human being, right? You know, regardless of whether or not they're someone that you feel like you can place in a job, hmm. I'm always willing to take a phone call. I'm always willing to take a meeting. Now, I'm not going to spend an hour and a half with an entry-level person when I have a million other things on my plate, but I'm certainly going to find time for them and, and try to make sure that I try to advise them with the best advice I can or, or maybe help them in their way of networking. And I found that that, has come back to me as say that junior person becomes uh, more successful. And, and then all of a sudden they are someone that I want to spend more time with based on, you know, what I need in, in terms of my, my clients hiring needs and things of that nature. Video interviewing has been part of mainstream recruitment for over a decade now, but have you figured it out yet? Video interviewing certainly looks good as part of your recruitment service. It gives you the appearance of being a cutting edge recruitment business owner on the front line of technology. But is it paying its way? Are you getting more new business, more repeat business because you're using video interviewing? Or is it starting to look more like a financial drain on your recruitment business? Our sponsor and trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. Their video interviewing is just one part of a complete suite of recruitment tools, so you don't need to spend a fortune on yet another tech platform. Everything you need is included in one package. Additionally, they provide training for your recruitment firm to make sure you're using the technology to the best possible effect for your existing clients, as well as how to use it to attract new clients. If you're thinking of investing in video interviewing, don't take another step until you've requested your free demonstration from iIntro. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain to book your free consultation. See for yourself how to use video interviewing to get a true return on your investment. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the common traits of the biggest billers who I've worked with and had on the podcast or, or had the privilege of coaching is they have that long-term outlook. They don't Obviously, we have to maximize what we accomplish day to day, but they always think long term and behave accordingly as if they're going to be in this business, you know, forever and not just for a couple of years and then get out. So, you know, the way that you treat people uh, might, you know, differ depending on which of those outlooks. Are you seeing this as a transaction like you're just doing this kind of for, for the short term? Or is this a business and a career that you're going to, you know, those relationships are going to sustain you almost like an annuity in the in the uh, medium to to long term? Yeah, I so, couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So, um, obviously, treating people with respect, I 100% agree. Like, that's one of our values at Recruitment Coach for sure, regardless of who they are. I kind of feel like I, I, um, something I, I took from Brian Tracy, he had a program called The Science of Achievement pretty sure that's the title, which is that, and it's a belief that we 
you know, you can choose to adopt, which is that I'm not superior to anybody and I'm not inferior to anybody. So if you approach every conversation, every relationship with that mindset, then number one, it allows you to be respectful and to be kind to people, even if they are earlier in their career or they can't, you can't immediately benefit from, you know, that conversation. But it also allows you to not be too intimidated speaking to people who are, you know, very senior in an organization or, you know, uh, in, in those types of um, conversations to approach it like a peer, like where you believe that you can bring value to that conversation and that you are, um, your time is just as valuable as theirs. I don't know if that resonates for you at all. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a great point because, um, you know, the, the respect component of, of being a recruiter goes both ways. And I, I think a lot of times when I'm working with folks, one of the things that I think about is communication, right? If I'm talking with a candidate and they go on an interview and say they completely bomb, right? Um, and I get that feedback from my client, I'm going to share with them constructive criticism. I'm going to share with them constructive feedback because I want them to get better. And it's not to put them down or make them feel bad. It's to help them learn that, hey, we didn't do a great job here. Here's what we can do better. Let's figure out how we can address this for the next one. Um, and then I think about it from the client perspective. One thing that I, I try to do is is get that feedback for my candidates, right? Because it's, it's sometimes you'll get no, not the right fit. Okay. Well, yes, they're not the right fit, but can you tell me why? You know, for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One, I want to share that with them so that we could try to help them. And two, help point me in the right direction. What was it about that particular candidate that wasn't the right fit so that I can be a little bit more pointed and find someone that maybe is a better fit, right? And so, you know, I feel like settling for that just kind of blanket no um, goes back to what you're talking about with that mutual respect. I feel like when I work with someone, I want them to understand that it's a partnership. And the better that we do that, the more successful I we're going to be together, right? And, and that's the most important thing. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And something that recruiters often are, they're, they're usually good at prepping candidates for interview and, you know, debriefing candidates, but they don't necessarily put the same amount of time and energy into prepping and debriefing the client, making sure that this is going to be a positive candidate experience, making sure that the interviewer is approaching this conversation with the right mindset, that they're, um, that they're behaving appropriately in this interaction, that they understand it's a two-way, you know, process, and that much as they're qualifying the person and making sure they're a good culture fit, do they have, are they competent, do they have the skills we need, they're, excuse me, they're also going to work to build rapport with the, you know, the interviewee, and they're going to sell the opportunity and make the person feel, this is the kind of place I'd love to work, this is a kind of leader that I could see myself, you know, working well with. And um, and if the client isn't on board with that strategy, then it's definitely not going to be a good partnership for me. Well, yeah, and I feel like it's so crucial to um, any experience, whether you want to hire that person or not, it should be a good one so that when they mm -hmm. leave and they talk about your organization, right? They talk about it in a positive light. And, and I think sometimes that's overlooked and, and uh, you can't stress the importance of it because I, I, I do think, especially for someone you want to hire, you want them to be excited about it and feel as though it's yeah. a great fit for them. But, um, you know, it, it, it definitely, again, I think that respect thing is a, a two-way street that is, is very important to note. Definitely. So in addition to that, what else, Nick, do you think is, um, you know, you... You mentioned to me in a previous conversation that you have some relationships that ha you've had for your entire career. So like 20 year relationships, as well as relationships where candidates have become clients. Um, so can you like, there must be more to it, though, than you're obviously a nice guy, you're knowledgeable, you're good at what you do, and you treat people with respect, but there must be more to it than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, persistence without being annoying, right? I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, I try to stay in touch with people. And, and you know, again, even when it's not, say, um, transactional today, right? Making sure that you check in with folks on a regular basis and, and, mm -hmm. and keep that line of communication. One of the things that I, um, you know, kind of came up in recruiting in the, the world kind of pre, um, you know, work from home and, and things like that was, 
um, doing everything in person, right? Every interview mm. was in person. Every prep meeting was in person. Every, um, even a lot of debriefs. And as you're going to the closing set start of a, um, or closing stage of uh, an interview process, all of that's done in person. Because I think, again, that connection. COVID um, and the pandemic really set that back a bit. And it's been harder to get back into that kind of norm of everything should be done in person. So now it's a lot more virtual. But I found... Um, I've really been emphasizing, you know, virtual preps or trying to get back in person and do those things that I think are so valuable because, again, it's different when you sit down with someone than if you just speak with them over the phone. I, I think that stuff really matters. And I've I found that because of that, it's it's allowed me, I think, to to build those relationships, I think, a little bit further. You know, you're going to get to know someone um, over a meeting versus a quick phone call where you're trying to prep them for an interview, you know, where do they live? You know, um, how, do they have any children, right? Or, you know, what are some of their interests? I think all of that stuff is just as important as what do you want to do? That is absolutely a hundred percent true. I think the in-person IRL is an acronym I've seen recently in real life. I don't know if you've seen that one, you know, text messages um, or emails looking forward to seeing you IRL. So, we, that's the whole reason we're doing this live summit in Florida, Nick, is that all like we work with clients worldwide, a lot in the US, in UK, Europe. Um, and most of the information, like the training that we're presenting can be done virtually, right? The, the topics that we're covering in the live summit in Florida are the exact same ones that we could deliver over Zoom or Teams or what have you. But the reason that we're doing it in person is because you do just get to know people so much better by spending that extra time with them. Like even sitting down, having lunch together, going for a drink after, having that, you know, FaceTime just really trans... Well, I, in my experience, it transforms the relationship to another level. And so that's the real reason that we're going to great time and expense to, to do that is so that we we build those relationships with uh, with our customers. So could you give me some examples of how you're doing that these days? Uh, yeah, well, so it's interesting because I, I think when I when we first got into the pandemic, I never really worked from home. Uh, and then all of a sudden I started working from home full time. Um, and I've been a lot more involved. My children are young, they're 12 and 10. Um, and so I've been a lot more involved in, in their lives, putting them on the bus. And so... Um, what I'll do is I'll go in for coffee meetings or lunch meetings and, you know, I do so less so with the drinks after work um, mm -hmm. as I get older and more so with um, trying to go in during that, you know, those, those business hours and, and have some of those meetings. And um, it's been great. And, and I found, you know, I, I live uh, south of Boston. You know, there's a lot of folks down here that still work in the industry. And so I can meet them a little bit more locally versus having to go into the city. And, you know, that makes it a little bit easier when it comes time for practice drop off and, and some of those other things that uh, that life kind of throws at you. Fantastic. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I agree. I'm not I'm not doing the drinks after work myself either. It's uh, um, it's it's not really my thing, but uh, but definitely meeting people, making a human connection is the important thing. So like which meetings would you do in person? Would it be the very first meeting or would it be subsequent meetings in the hiring process? Like which, what are the reasons you're meeting people? Sure, sure. Well, with a client, I mean, I feel like it's very important to see the office and get in there and yeah. talk with them, um, you know, see the environment, especially if it's a new client, one yeah. that I've worked with for many years, you know, less so. Um, I also enjoy meeting with um, stakeholders, right? And, and that can be virtual or in person where, you know, you sit down and you talk with them about what they need beyond um, just the piece of paper, right? A job description is a description, a salary range is a salary range, but what are some of the things that we can dive into a little bit deeper? And when you're doing it you know, live, I think you get, you get into some of those questions that you wouldn't think of otherwise. And I, I think that really helps to, to tune what it is we're looking for as, a, again, a, a candidate-centric recruiter. You know, the more I know, the more effective I can do my job. Definitely, 100%. Um, yeah, so meeting in person, 100% agree, both on the client side and the candidate side is really, really important for meaningful and long-lasting relationships. It's a little bit like um, you wouldn't ever marry someone without having actually met them in person, right? You know, you could you could meet someone online, you could chat on Facebook, you know, Messenger, you could get on a Zoom call, 
But I'm assuming that before you, you know, really commit to someone that you are going to meet them in person, right? So that to me proves that there is something important about meeting in person and that physical connection, uh, you know, face to face that, you know, uh, is better in some intangible way to a, to a Zoom meeting. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. You got to get to know them a little bit, right? I feel like, in, and that happens through questions and conversation, right? And, and again, that uh, I think that can go kind of to both sides, candidates and clients, right? The more yeah. you learn about them, the more you're going to understand them, the better you're going to be able to, to kind of find a match for them, right? As a, a matchmaker like we are. I, we used to joke at Boston Networking Group that we were, we could have started a dating service because we were <laughs> matchmakers, you know? Exactly. It's a, yeah, there are some parallels there for sure. Um, even like I have a, a longtime customer, Abigail Stevens, who's also been on the podcast. She recruits accountants for like big four practices internationally. So she'll be placing someone from New York, sending them to, you know, uh, the Cayman Islands. She'll be sending someone from, you know, Sydney to London. And uh, so up uh, 99% of these interactions are over the phone or over Zoom, right? But she does fly a lot to the key locations that she has clients and meets everyone in person, you know, on a, let's say a quarterly or at least a couple of times a year, she's she's making those trips. So um, I think there's, when people say, oh, it, you know, I recruit nationally, so it's not feasible or it's not legit, you know, it's not uh, doable or whatever. There's always a way. I have another client who's based in uh, Orange County and they recruit nationally throughout the U.S. as well as um, Central and South America as well. And they meet their clients by going to the conferences that their clients attend and making a point of, you know, meeting up with all of their, their customers while they're at their conference. So there's always a way to connect with people in person. Yeah, sure. And I think it's important, right? It's like, it's, yeah, it's a little bit more effort, but I think it's worth the effort. And, and, and that will come back to you, um, you know, tenfold if you, if you're willing to put it in. And I think a lot of people aren't, which is what I think separates folks. Yep. A hundred percent. So is there, what other secrets have you got up your sleeve, Nick? What else do you think, <laughs> you know, has been, you know, you've been a, a, a top producer over a long period of time. You've had a, a, a very, um, sustained, you know, success and long career in this business. Um, what what else do you put that down to? Um, uh, it, there's one thing that I was thinking of after we we had our kind of original conversation, and and I kind of created this silly little motto for myself that I actually, as I trained junior recruiters, I talked about as well, and and I called it a rule of ten, right? And so, in the rule of ten, if you have ten pieces of activity it's going to lead to one placement, right? So hmm. that could be a candidate. So say it's your candidate and your client, we'll count that as two, right? Um, but if you have 10 pieces of activity, odds are you're going you're gonna to have one placement. And you could get lucky and hit three or four. Um, you could be unlucky and you don't hit any. Um, and where it really gets exciting is if you have, say, when you get up to 20 or 25 pieces of activity all at once, you know, you know that you're going to you're going to get something out of that. And, and I found that if you could kind of kind of as a small organization, KPIs aren't really the most important thing for us. Right. Um, but I always would train folks that all right, 250 pieces of outreach will lead to, say, 10 to 15 interviews in our office, which might lead to five to 10 interviews outside at our clients. Right. So, again, getting up to that rule of 10 you should hit a deal if you do those things, right? And again, these numbers are imperfect, um, but I've always kind of kept that in the back of my mind. And even when I'm counting my activity, I'm always in my head, I'm like, do I have 10 things? All right, 10, I'll be all right. You know, and, and <laughs> it's um, it's something that I've always kind of um, utilized as kind of a trick to kind of continue to keep myself out there and and focused and and not, you know, not get comfortable with the amount of activity because 10 is good, but 20 is better. And if if you can get to 30, you know, you're going to do well, you know, you're going to really see a lot. And, and um, especially when you get a great candidate too, you get a great candidate, that one candidate could be almost, you know, five or six or seven pieces of activity on their own, let alone what you, when you have multiple great candidates. I love this idea, this rule of 10, Nick, is that your original concept? Have you trademarked uh, that? That's yeah, not trademarked. <laughs> I just, I, I think it's silly, but it's, it's something that I've always kind of kept in my mind. And, and I, I quite literally will look at my job list and I'll, I'll look at all my activity and be like, 
ah, I got six or seven things that's not going to get it done. You know, I got to really, I got to work a little bit harder here. You know, let's, let's get that up to 10 and I'll feel a little bit better. It's just a mental kind of. So what, <laughs> what, what qualifies as a, you called it like a piece of, of activity. What, what qualifies? Could you like, what are the different types of things that would count as one thing? Yeah, sure. So it's all revolves around send outs, right? So if you have a candidate that's interviewing, say at, um, say at my business partner's client, that's one piece of activity for me. If they're interviewing at my client, right? So my candidate, as well as my client, that's two pieces of activity. Um, and just kind of work in that fashion. Say my business partner has one person interviewing at one of my clients. That's one piece, right? Um, and so it can be multiple if it's your candidate and client, and then a singular if, um, you know, if it's just, um, if it's at one of your, um, you know, say a, a coworker's client or something. I see. So it's it's based upon how many candidates you have out on interview. That's true. Yeah. Send outs is what I would call them. Yeah. Yeah. Send outs is a confusing one because people sometimes, I know send outs traditionally means interviews where your, your candidate is sitting in front of your client virtually or in person. But sometimes people think send out means you, you've sent the resume or what have sure. you. So, sure. Sure. so, so but, interviews, interviews, yeah. yes, interviews with our clients. That's, that's yeah, yeah. where I, I base it all around that. Got it. So your, your uh, rule of 10 says that if you have 10, now you're calling the pieces of activity. Could you explain the distinction? Like what's the difference between 10 pieces of activity versus just 10 send outs? Uh, okay, so, so... If you have, say it's 10 of your candidates interviewing at 10 of your clients, right? Yeah. That would be 20 pieces of activity. Okay. Right? Oh, because one for the client, one for the candidate. Exactly. Got exactly. it. Okay. So that's how I would kind of, um, that's how I base my uh, my silly rule of 10 model. <laughs> I get it. Okay. No, that makes sense. So uh, I like it. That's cool. And do you, where? how do you record or track that? I mean, I just kind of keep note of, of everything that we're doing. Um, you know, obviously we have our, our CRM and, you know, as a small organization, I, I do I, kind of that old school mentality of keeping a lot of stuff on on paper on the desk and, and, mm -hmm. and focus there. Um, as I had mentioned, we, we don't do a ton with KPIs as a, a two-person shop. Um, but I think, you know, when I worked, when we had employees working for us, we monitored it a little bit more um, extensively, right? Tried to make yeah. sure that we were keeping track of kind of where we were getting activity and, you know, uh, what were we doing for, um, you know, say, uh, client outreach, candidate outreach in order to, to bring in additional activity? Yeah, cool. I like it. Whatever, whatever works for you, whether it's paper, whiteboard, CRM. Uh, but is there anything else that you specifically wanted to make sure that we covered today? Um, I think the other thing I, that's really important to me is, um, again, where I kind of fashion myself a candidate recruiter, candidate centric recruiter, um, is asking simple questions, right? One of the things that I find is that oftentimes, um, as I've worked with other people throughout their careers, because just because the recruiter kind of assumes that the job is right for the candidate, doesn't necessarily mean that it is. And so I think one of the things I really try to do when I'm working with a candidate is, you know, they, throughout the whole process, make sure that we're having this constant communication. You're asking them a lot of questions and really finding out, you know, through a, a variety of different ways, do they want this job, right? Leading all the way up to after that final round interview, having that debrief where you ask the person outright, do you want this job? And then be quiet and listen to what they say. Because if they hesitate, maybe they don't really want the job. If they mm -hmm. come back to you immediately and they're absolutely thrilled and it's a no-brainer, well, then great. If they say, well, let's see what they give me for an offer, like, I don't know that that's the right driver behind why someone should take a new job. And so I really take a lot of time to ask questions, you know, and I, I tell candidates to ask themselves when they're, they're interviewing, you know, if I were to get this job, am I going to be in a better place three to five years from now than where I am today? And if the answer is yes, take the job, right? Money will, that will get figured out. I think that stuff, if it's the right person for the right um, client, that stuff will figure itself out. Um, if the answer is maybe, why? You know, like, can we, can we figure out what the questions are that you might have that, that can be addressed? Or maybe they can't be addressed. If it's a location thing or, 
you didn't like the hiring manager, well, then that's not the right job for you. But if if it's something about, oh, I don't know if they have enough flexibility, come to find out it's a really flexible organization that is family friendly and will offer you some of that stuff. Well, let's ask those questions. You don't have to be afraid to ask. We can work together to come to that. If the answer is no, don't take the job. You know, if, if you don't think you're going to be in a better place three to five years from now, you should stay where you are and we'll find a better job for you. And I think that's something that I really focus on when I work with with candidates is asking questions, but listening to them and talking through with them because whatever decision they make isn't a decision that's based on me. It's a, you know, you've, you've got to take yourself out of the equa- equation completely and listen. And I think when I do that, I find that I get a lot more information and I'm able to kind of use that information. Hey, the client really wants to hire this candidate, but they have some hesitations. What do we need to do in order to get this to to meet in the middle? How can we get to what it is we want, which is this person getting hired for the job that they want? And I find that that's really something I've I've focused on um, heavily throughout my career. And I think it's what's allowed me to have success is is caring about, I genuinely care about getting people a good job. I, I do, and I feel bad you know, I've been in it for a long time. I've gotten people jobs where it didn't work out and it doesn't make me feel good. Like I really want to try to address that stuff on the way in so that we don't have to worry about it, say a year or two from now. I don't want them to call me saying they hate it. I want them calling me saying, I'm doing great. This is wonderful. I love that, Nick. That is awesome. Um, Coach me on this question. How do you phrase that? So is it, uh, do you... Do you see yourself being better off in this new company three to five years from now? Is that or how how do you word it? Sure, I I always I I, I when I'm dealing with the candidate, um, I will ask that I'll I'll tell them to ask themselves right. Ask yourself this question: If I get this job, will I be better off three to five years from now than if I stay where I am? I love that. that. You know, and 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 think about it, and really, and that's what I tell folks: is really think about it because. You know, it's yes, there's there's risk in making a change, but give it some thought, weigh those pros and cons, right? Make sure that, you know, like trust your gut, right? If your gut's telling you that this is going to put you in a better situation, I think it's a good move. And I think, again, asking that, um, you know, and and really giving it some deep thought, not just kind of answering it right off the bat, but kind of thinking about a little bit more, doing a deeper inner dive and, and, and making sure that it's something that makes sense for you. Nick, that is wonderful. I think that's my biggest takeaway from this whole conversation, actually, is that key question that you're asking them to ask themselves. uh, And that word track that you just shared was really, really powerful. At what point do you suggest that they contemplate that question? Where in the process do you put that to them? I want them to start thinking about it after the first round, right? Because in my mind, you know, usually an interview process, call it, say, a two to three round process, maybe it's four. um, But you should be thinking about making a change when you're going on that first round. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, if you meet with the folks and you don't like it and it's not the right fit for you, then the the answer to that question is pretty simple. But if you, you know, if you start thinking about it in the beginning stages, it becomes more real, Um, and I think that you want to, one thing I try to do is make sure that I have people thinking about this stuff, not just after round one, but after round two Mm -hmm. and after round three, right? It's good because you're not just kind of as a recruiter, I think sometimes, you know, people want to come in and close the deal. And I think it's, it's a process and it should be done kind of over a period of time because, you know, as you're working with someone, again, you can find out things about them that are important that can maybe be addressed through questions during an interview process. And so kind of working with them throughout the whole process, rather than just waiting until the end and saying, do you want the job, right? That shouldn't be the first time they're thinking about it. Absolutely. And Nick, this goes full circle back to the stuff you said at the beginning toward, uh, around meeting people in person, you know, uh, treating people respectfully. These things that you're doing are then increasing the likelihood that they're going to open up to you later in the process and tell you what their concerns are, reveal what else they have going on that might prevent them from accepting this offer, et cetera. Whereas if the recruiter hasn't taken the time to really get to know the individual, they don't, the person doesn't get the sense that this is someone who really cares and is, you know, working in my best interests and respects me and wants the best for me, 
then they are going to be more guarded and they're not going to share as much about what they're really thinking and feeling. So I think all of these factors that you've uh, you've imparted to us today actually connect together really powerfully. Yeah, and I think and and people are people too, right? Not everyone is going to share with you what they're 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 thinking. Some people don't want to partner with a recruiter, and mm-hmm. and you you have to kind of work around those parameters. But I think like deep down, you know, someone wants to know that you have their best interests in mind. And and yes, I I have a, a vested interest in someone getting a job. But I think if you you know, if you talk through that stuff and are genuine about your approach, um, I, it, it ends up working out more times than it doesn't. And, you know, I, I think that stuff is really important because it's a, when someone's making a job change, it's, it's a major decision. I mean, it's not just, oh, what the heck, I'll take a new job. It's, you know, this is going to change, you know, my daily routine and this is going to change how I'm, I'm looking at things. And I think it's important to take into that, uh, can take into consideration how important that change is. Fantastic. Nick, this has been tremendous. Really enjoyed getting to know you better. And uh, thank you so much for being on the Resilient Recruiter podcast and sharing your learnings from 20 years in the business. Oh, likewise, Mark. I, I really appreciate your time. This has been wonderful. One thing I wanted to uh, say um, in going into all those questions that I was talking about, one of the things I have on my desk is it says talk less and say more. And I think that goes into asking those questions, right? The more questions you ask, the less you have to talk. And I, as a recruiter and a lot of recruiters, tend to get a little chatty. And so I find that, you know, if you, you know, talk less and say more, I, I do think it, um, you know, there's some value in that and, and asking those questions gets you there for sure. Love it. Uh, that's a great motto. Thank you so much, Nick, and uh, look forward to catching up again soon. Likewise. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.